Welcome to the DNVGL Talks Energy podcast series. Electrification, rise of renewables and new technologies supported by more data and IT systems are transforming the power system. Join us each week as we discuss these changes with guests from around the industry. Welcome to a new episode of DNVGL Talks Energy. My guest today is Justin Wu, Head Asia Pacific of Bloomberg New Energy Finance. Welcome, Justin. Thank you for having me, Matthias. Uh, really glad to be here today. Justin, BNEF has issued the new Energy Outlook 2017, which is a long-term forecast 2040 about power generation. And I'm looking forward to discuss the findings of this report in a minute with you. But before we start, could you give us a brief introduction about yourself as well as Bloomberg New Energy Finance? Sure. So Bloomberg New Energy Finance uh, is a research division within Bloomberg. We're about 200 people worldwide, and our job is to provide research uh, and insights to help inform decision makers on the future of energy and transport. I have been based in Hong Kong for the last seven years, and I manage our Asia-Pacific group, which is spread out around the region and covering all the major markets, uh, including Japan, Korea, China, India, uh, the countries in Southeast Asia, and also Australia. So to start with, could you tell us a bit more about the Energy Outlook 2017, what it covers, how you gathered and combined the information, and how you came to your conclusions? So the New Energy Outlook, uh, or NEO for short, is our annual long-term economic forecast of the world's uh, power sector. Uh, we've been doing a long-term forecast uh, thing since about 2009, uh, and the NEO report is really focused on the electricity uh, system. So we uh, combine the expertise of over 80 of our market and technology specialists uh, around the world to provide a unique view on how the market will evolve uh, over the next uh, 20, 20 some years. Now, what sets NEO apart uh, from other long-term forecasting that you might see is that our assessment is focused on the parts of the system that are driving rapid change in the markets, uh, grid systems, and also business models. So this includes looking at the cost of wind and solar technology, battery storage, electricity demand, and also the uptake of electric vehicles, among other things. Uh, this year, we have uh, updated the model and our approach, and we've added a few new things. So in addition to refreshing our inputs, uh, the technology cost curves, fuel prices, macroeconomics, and, and also consumer adoption uh, assumptions, uh, we also have looked at a few new areas. So one new area is looking at uh, dynamic electric vehicles charging and, that's, uh, and its impact on the grid systems. Uh, we also looked at batteries, uh, what they could do for providing uh, peak demand uh, in the future if more of these are installed either uh, on a utility scale or behind the meter uh, residential uh, households. Um, we also uh, have taken a slightly uh, new and more evolved approach towards looking at offshore wind costs. Um, and also we've included some new geographies uh, in terms of looking at them in more detail, specifically uh, Southeast Asia, uh, some new countries in the Middle East and Africa, uh, Turkey, um, South Korea. Uh, and also we've split up the, uh, uh, the world's largest power market, China, into six uh, grid regions. And also uh, the U.S., we're looking at seven different ISOs. That sounds very interesting, Justin. Could you share the major findings of this report with us? 
Sure. So the main finding uh, of this report is that we're seeing a future where most of the new generation capacity in the world uh, that the world adds will be solar and wind. And that's being driven by the increasing cost competitiveness of these two technologies. So more specifically, uh, we see global installed capacity will nearly double to uh, about 13,000 gigawatts by 2040, up from about 6,800 gigawatts today. Uh, and while solar and wind are only about 12% of the installed capacity today, they will uh, be nearly 50% of that installed capacity by 2040. Now, for generation capacity, um, obviously renewable energy operates at lower capacity factors than uh, nuclear or other fossil fuels. Uh, but we also see quite significant growth uh, for it over the next uh, 20, 20 some years. So uh, in 2016, for instance, uh, renewable energy, or rather the variable renewable energy, such as uh, PV and wind, are only about uh, 6% or so of global uh, electricity generation. Uh, but by 2040, uh, we're gonna see uh, onshore wind uh, rise to 15%. Uh, utility scale uh, and small scale PV are combined 17% uh, of generation capacity. Um, interestingly enough, the largest uh, provider or, of, or generator of electricity in 2040 is still going to be coal at 22%, uh, followed by gas at 16%. Uh, and then hydro and onshore wind tied at 15%. So fossil fuels are still going to generate uh, a good uh, chunk of the electricity in 2040, but uh, the size of renewables or the proportion of renewable generation uh, is, is going to increase significantly over the next uh, 23, 24 years. So what would you think, what impact will that have on future investments? In terms of uh, investment, uh, what we see is that from 2017 to 2040, uh, the world is going to invest about 10.2 trillion U.S. dollars in new generation uh, technologies and capacity. About 86% of this figure is going to be zero carbon, so that's renewable energy and nuclear, and 14% will come from fossil fuels. Uh, in terms of the breakdown by technology, uh, wind is going to attract the most investment at, at about 3.3 trillion, uh, followed by solar at 2.8 trillion, uh, and then nuclear at 1.4 trillion. So that's the, the top three. Uh, gas and coal, uh, a lot less, but there will be something. So gas will be about 800 uh, billion and coal will be 700 billion. This is an outlook uh, that is pleasantly positive about renewables. How do you compare BNEF's report to other forecasts out there? Uh, so you might sort of uh, listen to these figures and, and think that this is very bullish on renewable energy. Um, and this is certainly true. Uh, our for long-term forecasting, if you compare that against, uh, say, what the uh, International Energy Agency or other organizations that do long-term forecasting, we are certainly uh, much more bullish on, on renewable energy. Uh, but what we will say about this is that if you look at uh, sort of long-term forecasting, every year uh, everybody has revised up their forecasts for renewable energy, uh, including ourselves as well. Uh, and despite that, the market itself in terms of uh, the actual capacity of, of solar and wind being built every year uh, is actually above, even above our uh, rather bullish uh, forecast. So we actually see that history has shown that actually the market is moving even faster than some of our, our forecasts. 
Justin, what are the main drivers for this transformation on the energy mix and how will those potentially shift over time? So obviously, uh, one of the reasons uh, we're seeing this uh, rather large uptake of renewable energy and particularly of, of solar uh, in, in the future is uh, cost. So the cost of solar or photovoltaics is falling dramatically. Um, and one of the uh, key things that we see is, for instance, in the uh, the cost of, of or the price of uh, solar modules. So, for example, in 1976, uh, a PV module cost about $82 uh, per watt in 2016 dollars. Uh, but at the end of 2016, this, this has fallen to only 41 cents per watt. So if you, if you think about this as a learning rate, in other words, the cost of reduction per every doubling of solar capacity, uh, it is about 28%, uh, which is a very powerful trend. And this is made possible by uh, a combination of technology innovation, economies of scale, and also uh, manufacturing experience. Um, and what's important to note is that this trend is going to continue in the future. We're certainly going to see the cost of solar modules fall even faster uh, as time goes on and as we have more installations uh, in, the, in the future. Uh, to the point that by 2040, uh, we're seeing modules uh, cost only about 12 US cents uh, per watt. Um, and it's not only the module actually either, it's, it's the uh, entire uh, project itself. So other softer costs around the balance of plant, EPC and services will also uh, see a reduction. Uh, and for the other technologies such as uh, wind turbines or, or offshore wind uh, and batteries, uh, we've looked at similar uh, cost trends, although they're, not, they're a bit different from the way that uh, solar works. Uh, but we also analyze uh, how these cost trends are happening and factor that into our work and modeling. Um, so what that does for us is actually uh, we're looking at uh, the LCOE or the levelized cost of electricity uh, for renewable technologies uh, versus uh, others. Um, and basically, in, in this work, uh, we see two things. Um, so first of all, we compare the uh, levelized cost of electricity between uh, newly built pro projects. So let's say a project, um, a new solar project being built in a specific country in a year, uh, that cost versus a new coal-fired power project or a gas project uh, being built in that year. Um, and on that one, we do see a number of interesting uh, so-called tipping points uh, in many markets. So, for instance, uh, in the case of, of China, we're seeing that soon after 2020, uh, new-build onshore wind uh, will be uh, more competitive than a new-build uh, coal-fired power plant. Um, or after about 2023 or 24, a new-build utility-scale PV project in China will be more cost-competitive than a coal-fired power plant. Um, similarly, in the U.S., which is a little bit different from China in the sense that coal is more expensive, uh, but gas is cheaper, we also see that in the early 2020s, uh, onshore wind and also utility-scale PV will be cheaper than a new-built uh, gas plant in, in the U.S. Um, so that's, that's the first thing we looked at, is the comparison between a newly-built power plant versus a newly-built power plant. Um, but interestingly, uh, this year, an additional point that we've looked at is uh, the cost of new-built renewable energy versus uh, existing power generation projects. So in other words, uh, is there a tipping point between a new-built solar plant that could be cheaper than an existing coal fire or gas fire power plant? 
Uh, and in a few countries, we do actually see examples of that happening as well. Uh, so, for example, in Germany, after 2030, uh, we do see that the cost of onshore wind and utility-scale PV will be cheaper than a uh, existing coal-fired power plant or uh, a combined cycle a gas turbine plant. Uh, part of the reason of that, of course, is the cost reduction in renewable energy. But another reason here is that uh, there is a, um, a rising uh, carbon price in Europe as well uh, that's driving up uh, the cost of operating these plants. Um, but there's also another point here in the sense that um, after a certain period of time, if you have a high penetration of renewable energy within a certain market, um, the average uh, operating hours of your base load uh, fossil fuel plants are going to be lower and lower because renewable energy obviously is going to cut into these these base load hours and renewable energy operates with uh, zero marginal cost. Um, so there is a certain point in some markets where uh, when the penetration reaches a certain point, uh, you are going to see renewable energy crowd out existing uh, operating uh, uh, capacity or operating uh, uh, plants. So despite what you just said, and uh, despite the Paris Agreement, we still see new coal-fired uh, power plants coming up somewhere around the globe. Um, what do you think about the development of that sector? What do you think about the development of coal? Sure. So as I've said at the, at the beginning, um, coal, we do still see a future for coal. Uh, in 2040, coal is still generating about 22% uh, of the world's electricity, which is still the, the largest portion. Um, and of course, there's going to be a large uh, regional variation of, of what happens to coal. So uh, basically, in the U.S. and Europe, uh, coal fire generation is uh, on a continuous decline. Uh, it's going to, uh, over the next 20-some years, it's going to keep uh, falling gradually uh, over this time in terms of the amount of coal generation in the mix. Uh, China, which uh, is obviously the, the, the leading uh, uh, generator of coal, uh, is going to see its uh, coal generation capacity peak at about 2025, and then it's going to uh, come down uh, fairly dramatically after that. So, so that in 2040, uh, it's going to generate just over 3,000 uh, terawatt hours of coal, which is lower than the amount of coal generation uh, in China today, which is around 4,000 terawatt hours. Um, India and Southeast Asia uh, will continue to see an increase uh, in coal generation, um, but uh, both countries or, or regions, rather, are uh, far uh, smaller in terms of coal generation than, than China. So, um, in that sense, the world's uh, coal generation is closely tied to the fate of, of China. So global coal generation uh, is going to also peak around 2025, around the time of, of China's peak, uh, and going to gradually come down after that. Um, so that by 2040, uh, the total amount of global coal generation is going to be slightly below uh, where we are in 2016. So what are your thoughts on gas then? So some people call it the transition fuel. Um, I would be interested in your outlook on that. So gas is also a, an interesting uh, story. So uh, often we hear that, um, and as you correctly mentioned as well, gas uh, could be called a transition fuel. In other words, it's a transition between a high carbon uh, coal uh, uh, sort of present reality to a zero carbon uh, renewable energy 
uh, in the future. And gas obviously uh, is a baseload uh, uh, power uh, source uh, and has a lot is a lot less carbon intensive than than coal. Um, however, we also say that gas is a transition fuel, but not really in this sense, in terms of the transition between high to, to low carbon. Uh, rather, we see uh, gas playing an increasing role in uh, helping balance uh, electricity systems that uh, see more renewable energy coming to the mix, uh, play a role in terms of meeting peak demand and peak capacity in, in many markets. Um, so what that means is that in most of the world, um, gas is going to play a role as, as a source of flexible generation to help meet needed peaks and provide system stability rather than as an outright replacement for base load coal. Um, so by 2040, uh, we see that gas uh, fire capacity is going to increase by about 16% from where it is today. Uh, in North America, is slightly different uh, given that gas is plentiful and cheap there. Uh, there, uh, it does play much more of a central role, uh, especially in the near term, in terms of providing uh, baseload uh, power generation capacity. So the things we have just heard now in the last uh, 15 minutes or so, how will those impact emissions and the Paris Agreement, the achievement of the two-degree target? Well, on uh, emissions and also uh, on, on the whole issue of... Uh, of, of meeting our, our CO2 emissions goals. First, the good news. Um, in our uh, 2017 report, as compared to last year, uh, we do see global power sector uh, CO2 emissions uh, overall uh, wind up in a lower place uh, in 2040 than what we had forecasted uh, last year. Um, we also see that uh, power sector uh, CO2 emissions are going to peak uh, in 2026, so within 10 years. Um, so that is definitely the good news uh, in terms of where, where that is. Uh, and also, I might add another piece of good news is that in terms of where uh, our forecast for power sector CO2 emissions, uh, in terms of where we wind up in 2040, it, it is also going to be lower than the uh, the NDC or the national uh, nationally declared sort of contributions um, uh, scenario as painted in, in by the Paris Agreement. So in other words, we are we do believe the world is going to actually uh, reduce emissions further than what the countries have so far pledged uh, in the Paris Agreement. So all of that is good news. Um, unfortunately, the bad news is that, uh, as you can imagine, if we were to hit our goal of of not uh, preventing uh, more than two degrees of uh, average temperature rise around the world, uh, we are actually quite a, quite a ways from that. So. To have a two-degree tra trajectory, uh, the world is going to need to invest uh, an additional $5.3 trillion in zero-carbon technologies by 2040 uh, in order to reach that goal. So uh, that's actually quite a bit more and, and a bit more, um, much more work is needed there. So uh, yes, even, even for our forecast, which is uh, very very bullish on renewables, and we see uh, this fundamental transformation in the energy sector in the next 20 years, uh, we are still not there in terms of uh, meeting our two-degree goals. I kind of uh, saw that coming in the moment I asked you that question. So what a happy note close to the end of this podcast. Uh, so unfortunately, I, I hate to sort of end our, our podcast on a, on a rather sad note, um, but there's, a, there's really a lot more uh, in this report as well. Uh, so if anyone is interested, I do uh, welcome that you take a look. 
on our website, www.bnef.com. Uh, there's more details. You can also download a, a summary of this report, uh, which shows you more results also on electric vehicles, on batteries, and also on uh, what consumers are doing with solar as well. So certainly some other interesting results. Thanks for this, Justin. And also reminds me to mention that also DNVGL is launching DNVGL's Energy Transition Outlook 2017 in September, and we will have an episode about this in Series 3 of this podcast. Justin, many thanks for your time. Many thanks for these very interesting insights you shared with us. Uh, thanks for having me today, Matthias. Uh, it's a pleasure being here. Thank you. Once again, thank you, Justin. And thank you also for everyone listening in. That was Justin Wu, Head Asia Pacific of Bloomberg New Energy Finance, talking about BNEF's Energy Outlook 2017. Thank you for listening to this DNVGL Talks Energy podcast. To hear more podcasts in the series, please visit dnvgl.com slash talksenergy.